Lord Jesus, today we are aware that the days are getting shorter. In another week or so, the, day, the days of our northern hemisphere will reach the shortest amount of daylight that we can experience in a year. Let us use that shrinking daylight as a reminder that we are in a shrinking light, so to speak, as the time of darkness and judgment approaches, and therefore we cling to you, the light of the world, we cling to you as our hope for eternal life, for a place in paradise with you when we die, a place of eternal rest, but not, not only that, a place where from we will join all of your children, Lord God, in resurrection and in the new creation. Oh God, we look forward to this with joy, although we don't really understand it. We repent of thinking that the world as we understand it, the limited world of our homes and our jobs and our intimate relationships is, is all there is. We repent, Lord, that we don't think beyond ourselves enough, that we don't think of the world and its billions of people and all the souls that have come before and will come in the future before you return and help us to, to, to try from time to time to put it all in our thought, even if it hurts, even if it's difficult to the extent that we can't fully grasp your perspective. We ask for your help in this because we want to, we want to appreciate you all the more. And in that spirit, Lord, we try to put things in perspective as we seek your help. In that spirit, we recognize that there is much suffering in the world, and there are many who don't have the benefits that we so easily access. In that spirit, Lord, we pray not only for the healing that we need from the various ailments that we suffer from, the various conditions of our lives that need your intervention, but we pray for those for whom a clean glass of water and a good meal once a day would be a huge blessing. As we pray for our families and the various discords that occur, we pray for those who suffer in places where civil war and, and uncivil government can bring terror, pain, and death in a moment. As we pray, Lord, for our grief as we celebrate the seasons, Lord, make us mindful of those for whom grief is a daily occurrence where there is so much loss and so much brokenness, they become numb and survival is the only thing they know. We pray, Lord, that while we ask for safe travel and blessed times of celebration during these holidays, that we might remember those for whom a day without chaos would be a blessing. And so, Lord, we put it in perspective to honor you, 
and to humble ourselves before you, to really submit our pride at your altar of grace. Lord, help each of us in our pride and self-determination and our selfish desires. Help each of us, wherever we are on that spectrum of sin and pride, let us just each take some measure of it and put it on the altar and leave it there so that we might come from the house of worship a little more humble and a little more awestruck by the amazing love of the creator of everything who sent his only son to become small like us and then to bear all of our sin asking that his gift to us would just be accepted. Oh God, what a remarkable thing it is to think about these truths. Our prayer could go on for hours if we started looking at things that way and talking to you honestly. And well, thankfully, Lord, your son, our Lord Jesus has given us words that summarize perfectly what we should say to you when we pray. And so together we speak his words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you want to take out your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 11, you can read along with me as we take a look at this passage together. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. In your pew Bible, you'll find that on page 683. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and the faithfulness of the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. 
They shall not hurt or destroy my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place be glorious. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 11. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlines of the sea. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Joseph Heller, best known for writing Catch-22, said peace on earth would mean the end of civilization as we know it. Of course, Heller was known for his satirical writings about government and especially war, that there are many people who, if they've lived long enough, will have witnessed enough war to recognize the absurdity of it. They'll recognize the insanity of war and how it's often fought by ordinary people who think it's pretty absurd, but who, because of the powerlessness they have over their governments, do as their governments expect them to do. And this is what Heller was driving at. Now, Christmas is a time that is almost universally referred to as a time of peace on earth and goodwill toward men, and yet it's probably been misrepresented as that. So I'm going to systematically ruin your Christmas a little bit for a minute and hopefully, re hopefully reconstruct it into something that will be even more valuable for you. Um, I'm going to take on Linus in the Charlie Brown Christmas for a minute. And I realized that this could get me burned in effigy, possibly run out of town on a rail. Because how would anybody take on Linus's beautiful speech reading scripture about what Christmas is really about. Well, Linus is right. In the end, I promise you, he's got this right. But he leaves you with the impression that somehow the birth of Jesus creates peace on earth and goodwill among men. But have you witnessed that in the last 20, 30, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of your life? Has the world witnessed that in the last 2,000 years? Is there peace on earth? Some of us stood at the border with Syria just a few weeks ago. And for me, it was a cathartic experience because I recognized as I looked across those plains towards Damascus that I was looking at the ground upon which all hell will break loose. Is there peace on earth, really, because of Christmas? No. And what we need to understand at Christmas time is that peace on earth is not the result of Christ's first coming. It will be the result of Christ's second coming. 
And that's why I put so much emphasis on that during Advent, especially the first few weeks, because I want to help us to agree that as much as Christmas is a time for quiet, joyful celebration in our homes, it is really a time to remember that because God made promises about Christ's first coming that we know were fulfilled, we can agree that God's promises about Christ's second coming will surely be fulfilled. Jesus even said of himself that he did not come to bring peace on earth. In fact, he says something else. He says that political and religious and philosophical differences are going to continue. And as you heard last week, there will be wars and rumors of wars and there will be famines and earthquakes and, and even then it won't be as bad as it gets. It ultimately culminates in something called the Great Tribulation. Jesus did not say that negotiations between political entities, prayer services and candle lightings and ribbons of different colors would somehow bring peace on earth. He didn't say that. And so I don't want to suggest that there cannot be peace among human beings. In fact, far from it. I'll get to that in a moment. But for, the, for, for now... I would like for us to agree that even though it's not a very popular message at Christmas time, the reality is, is that Jesus did not bring peace on earth. But he will. Now, when we think then about the biblical worldview of all this sin and conflict that occurs in the world, we have to understand that sin is nothing less than a violent resistance to God. And I use the word violent because it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a physical violence, but it is violent in our thinking because we determine to resist God. And we forcefully resist God at times. You think that over and decide how that has happened in your life. Consider the human condition as a state of violent resistance to God. I met with some people the other night and we talked about how there are so many things in our society that are being normalized and it is a subversive yet violent resistance to God. So sin is violent resistance to God that almost always results in violence among people. Because if you violently resist God, then you will be violent with others. That means you will aggressively resist each other. Think about the borders we have in our lives and the boundaries that we draw in our lives. There are books written about how to maintain your boundaries so that you can keep your sanity, so that you can keep from being bowled over by, by oppressive bosses or neighbors or family members and so forth. It's all about being aggressively, assertively resistant. And yet everything about our Lord says that it is in our best interest to entirely absorb the Lord's leadership in every aspect of our lives, to give up our boundaries to God, our Creator. 
Christmas, in fact, is about peace with God. And if you listen carefully to what Linus says to Charlie Brown, if you read your scripture carefully, what you will understand as you read from Matthew uh, in, in, uh, and, or Luke rather in chapter 2 and verse 14, what you read is that the angels who came to the shepherds that night said, peace on earth and goodwill toward those on whom God shows favor. That's what the scripture says. I think a lot about that night when the shepherds came, and I'm going to talk about that, or when the, the angels came to the shepherds, I'm going to talk about that on Christmas Eve. But I think about that quite often. As, and, and again, I don't mean to flaunt the fact that some of us have been there and seen that, but I can tell you that in my life, the very first time I went to Bethlehem, my mind was expanded dramatically by the view and it occurred to me that those shepherds in those fields, when the angels appeared before them and all of heaven opened up so that they could see countless faces of angelic beings across their sky, they must have figured the invasion that was long overdue was about to start. Because how many times in the Old Testament has God said, let's just scrap this plan and get rid of these people? And it was only someone like Moses or Abraham or David or Elijah who said, Lord, hang on. You don't want anybody to think that you don't have the grace to forgive. You don't want anybody to think that you've created beings that are impossible to improve. And somehow God would say, all right, just for you, Mo, I'll give him another chance. Abe, you can't even find five decent people in that city, but if you'll bring those five or four out that you know are good, I'll take care of them and the rest be damned, literally. And so what we recognize is that God has determined to make peace with us. Despite our violence, violent resistance, what are we without Christ before God but subversive, rebellious combatants? Try to raise the rebellion. Boy, wait till this one gets on the internet and somebody takes the sound bite up. Try to raise the rebellion against our country. See how that works out for you. Try to start some sort of civil war in a powerful country like this one and see how it goes. What are we before God, before Christ is in our lives? We are a rebellious resistance movement. We're insurgents. We're, we're systematically trying to blow up everything sacred to Christians, to the system the Lord God has established through Judaism. So if we want to make peace with God, what have we got to bring to the negotiating table? We got nothing. And the amazing thing that happens at Christmas is that God brings the gift to the table 
pushes it across the table and says, offer me this and I'll make peace with you. Now that's absurd. God wants to make peace with you. And not only that, but after he makes peace with you, he wants you to join his family. I'm a student of history and I really marvel at some of the things that humanity has descended to and risen to over the last hundred years or so as we fought world wars. And, and I'm amazed because after we defeated Japan in the Second World War, we rebuilt their country. After we defeated Germany in the Second World War, we rebuilt their country. When communist Soviet Union segregated and separated Berlin from the rest of the freed world, our country swept in with something called the Berlin Airlift and brought relief and saved people who were at one point our combatants. At a moment in history, there was a certain generation that some of us can remember who acted just like Christ, offered to make peace with the enemy by giving them gifts. Our Lord invites you to be at peace with him. And the good news the angels came to proclaim is that God has determined to make peace with you and he has given you the only bargaining chip you have. And it's Christ. So now, we can look at Christmas in a new and better way. And we can recognize that no, there's not really peace on earth yet. But there is peace with the Creator. That we accept that gift that God gave us, the one bargaining chip that saves us from God's justifiable wrath, which is coming. We accept that gift and then present it to God the Creator as our get-out-of-jail card, as our forgiveness card, as our grace card. And the gift is Christ who paid the penalty for our sin against God and not only that, invites us to join God's family and offers us nothing less than a spiritual transfusion so that we no longer, our, our being is no longer the same as it once was because now that we've accepted Christ as our Savior, Christ infuses us with the very essence of His being. We call that the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit enables in us a Christ-like character. Now we're getting closer to peace on earth. You see, we can't bring total peace to the earth or the total capitulation of Satan. Christ himself will see to that when he comes again. But in the meantime, as spirit-filled children of God, we can be instruments of peace. And we can be outposts. Each of us in our own individual being can be an outpost, a peace center for the author of peace and love, which is nothing less than our creator. 
And when we unite together in that unified spirit, we can even do things as remarkable as rebuilding the nations of our enemies or feeding the people who were oppressed by our enemies. And so when we put our heads together and our combined Holy Spirit-filled souls together, we become a force of peace and goodwill. And it doesn't bring total peace to the world, but it brings a lot of peace to the neighborhood. And it makes us vital because we're the source of peace. You've heard us say several times lately, we want to be vital to the well-being of our community through Christian discipleship. And this is exactly what it means. Because we become a force for good, as spirit-filled, saved followers of Jesus Christ, children of God, adopted through Christ. There's a very famous story from World War I that most of you are probably familiar with about how there was an outbreak of peace in 1914 along the Western Front. It wasn't official. It didn't happen because of anything the governments had anything to do with. It was simply a matter of German Christians in their trenches on one side of no man's land and British Christians in French Christians in the trenches on the other side of no man's land, both wallowing in the cold, wet mud of Christmas time. And they were singing. Christmas carols marking the season and they could hear each other across the expanse of the deadly battlefield. They could hear each other singing Christmas songs and even though they sang them in different languages, the tunes were familiar. You know that one that everybody knows for some reason, that silent night they sang. And then something amazing happened, something unbelievable happened. Some courageous young men, most of them boys, ventured out of the trench into the open battlefield, waving their hands in peace. And then all over the Western Front, there were Christmas celebrations and exchanges of gifts and games and songs between combatants in what would be the war that changed the world forever. How do things like that happen? I think we just discovered it because the spirit-filled believer can not resist peace. Spirit-filled believer will fight to defend his friend and fellow comrade and a spirit-filled believer will honor God by getting, giving Caesar what belongs to Caesar and all of these various things that come out in, in our literature. They, they will do these things because they're compelled to be in the world, but no longer of the world. And then, at a moment of pure human suffering, compassion comes out. Because you just can't resist it. You just feel this compassion that comes over you because the Spirit of God has changed your nature. So, 
Baby Jesus didn't bring peace to the earth, but baby Jesus brought us to be peacemakers. And so as you enter into this Christmas season, keep that in mind, especially when you're fighting for a parking spot up at the shopping center. <laughs> and when you're trying to get the last Elmo or whatever the latest thing is now off the shelf for your kid who deserves it more than their kid or whatever, right? I think that the thing that blows me away about Christmas is all the irony. It was ironic that in World War I, combatants stopped fighting and killing each other for a day or two and celebrated Christmas together and then went back to their trenches and started fighting each other again. It's ironic that charities really experience a lot of generosity this time of the year and yet it's often given because of the tax advantages. It's ironic that uh, there are people who sing the songs about Jesus and have never known him at Christmas time. It's ironic that we lovingly pick gifts for the people we love and then they stand in long lines the day or two later to exchange them. It's ironic that a baby lauded by angels was born to die. I would encourage you to embrace the irony of Christmas in order that you might grow closer to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for whom the holiday is dedicated. And I would encourage you to seek ways to be spirit-filled believers who are women and men of goodwill because you have this irresistible urge to make peace that was born in you when you were born again. There won't be peace on earth until Christ returns, but there can be peace in our community. There can be peace among us simply by doing goodwill and being blessed peacemakers. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Now burn upon our hearts every truth that came from you and discard everything that is not of you so that we might be transformed into peacemakers who celebrate your amazing gift of grace in that way because we just can't help it. Amen. Mm -hmm.